So today we're picking up where we left off. We left off in um, Acts chapter 8. Let me just say, we point you to the website a lot, but thegatheringnow.com. If you're here and you're just like, what in the world is Reacts? I haven't even been here for a single time that you taught through the book of Acts. All of these teachings from back in 2011 are there. Well worth your time, not because Phil or I or Eugene are the best teachers, but just the Word of God's a good thing, and it's really worth your time to go check those out. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. You can do all that on your own time online, but I'm going to give you a real quick recap of this point. To this point in Acts, here's what's happened. To this point in Acts, Jesus left. The Holy Spirit came. The church was born. The church got power. The church got persecuted. The church got scattered. The church got stronger. That's what we've read to this point, okay? And today, in Acts chapter 9, something new is going to happen for the church. They're going to get a new leader. They're going to get a new leader, and it all starts with conversion. So today, we're talking about conversion. Everybody say conversion. conversion. It's a great word. We're, always, we're talking about conversion. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through Acts chapter 9, just 1 through 19, just to try to see some of the ingredients, some of the components, what made Saul's conversion true. And and does it even apply to us? Okay, so here's what's going to happen. Today while we're teaching, there's going to be certain times that you go, I love that. And there's going to be certain things I say and you're going to go, I hate that. And there's going to be things that I say and you're going to be like, is that true of me? Should it be true of me? This should be one of those days when you kind of scratch your head a lot, think a lot. I'm totally okay with that. All right? We just want to walk through and say, How, here's what happened to Saul. Is this what happened to us? Make sense? So number one, here we go. The first common part is life before meeting Jesus. That's the first point. Life before meeting Jesus. So I want to talk you, walk you through just a quick snapshot of who Saul was before he met Jesus. It says in Acts chapter 9 verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So here's what meanwhile he was still, here's what that means. Saul's continuing to do what he'd always done. He's still ravaging the church, okay? How many of you are watching um, the Bible on the History Channel? Okay, here's my takeaway so far. Violent. I, I mean, just like, just the sound effects. Like, it's just violent. I mean, the blood. blood I'm just a lot going on there. And so when we read, we typically read gory out of the Bible, Right? So what happens is we read the Bible and we hear like angels singing in the background. It becomes this, oh, beautiful moment. But I mean like he's breathing out murderous threats against the disciples. Saul was a bad man. I don't mean bad like you want your kids around him. I mean he was really a bad man. You didn't sleep with your eyes closed around Saul. Um, we finally watched the Bible from last Sunday and we, we thought that it was going to be about the Philistines, but apparently it's about the Philistines. Um, that's what they say, because you have to say things differently to make them sound better. But those, jerk, those jerkers were just, they were cold-blooded. I mean, they would just look at you, kill you. They didn't think twice about it. That's Saul, okay? That's what Saul was like. He's still breathing out murderous threats. Many people believe that when he watched Stephen die, I don't know how you would be. If, not, it's funny, because I did watch my brother Stephen die. But when, when if you watch somebody die, most of us would be like, a little broken hearted over that. A lot of people believe that when he watched Stephen die, because it says in Acts 7 that Saul was there giving approval, that they actually laid, people took their coats off and said, hey, can you hold this coat while I go kill that guy? 
Sure, absolutely. I'll be the guy holding it. Go, go get him. A lot of people believe that that just further enraged Saul. It's kind of pushed him a little bit over the edge. Um, he's persecuting disciples of Jesus as fast as he could find them. So verses 1 and 2 here just kind of gives us a general idea of how he persecuted. Um, he would threaten them. He'd get letters. He'd hunt them down. Acts 22, 4 and Acts 26, 10 through 11 give us a little bit more specifics. You can just write those verses down. Here's what it says. If you read Acts 22, 4, if you read Acts 26, 10 through 11, you'll see that what he literally did was he would imprison them and he would kill them. He's not just bringing them in. He's killing them. He is trying to wipe the planet of these Jesus freaks. That's Saul. He was so bent on destroying the church, he was crazy. His own words in Acts 26:11, he said this, I was obsessed. You know anybody that's obsessed? Obsessed people are crazy people. Okay? Unless it's with chocolate. Then they're crazy, but at least they're smart because it's chocolate, right? People that are obsessed, they won't stop at anything to get what they want. Saul says, I was obsessed with persecuting and imprisoning and killing Christians. So here he is. He's on his way to Damascus. The reason he's going to Damascus is because it was full of Jews, of Gentile converts. There were tons of targets. It's 130 miles northeast of Jerusalem. So here's, here's what 130 miles northeast is. If we start, I love the expression, as the crow flies. I don't know where that came from, but I'm not a crow. But if I was and I started flying, if I start flying northeast, 130 miles exactly northeast from here as the crow flies is the state line of Virginia. That's how far he went to get to more people to persecute. He's full of rage. He's been on destroying as many followers as he possibly can. And he's not worried about anyone he hurts along the way. And here's what surprised me as I'm studying it. Saul, as bad as he was, was just like you and just like me. And that really threw me for a loop because I'm watching the Bible and the History Channel and I'm seeing these people that are bloodthirsty and jerks and violent and mean and it's easy for me to sit in my recliner eating popcorn and say, they are awful. But when I read this, I went, Saul was awful. And then God showed me in Romans chapter 1, just keep your finger in Acts chapter 9 and just flip over to Romans chapter 1, that Saul was just like me or I'm just like Saul. Now, this is the part you're going to hate, okay? I already warned you, so it's okay if you don't like it. I'm going to read you quickly the worst half of a chapter in the entire Bible. We're going to start in verse 21, Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read fast. Here we go. For although they knew God, they being people just generally on earth, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, right now, at this point, as I'm reading this, you've already slipped back onto the couch. You've got popcorn, and you're already starting to say, these people are awful. This isn't about these people. This is about all of us 
This is our life before meeting Jesus, okay? I tell you that because it's going to get worse. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. They are gossips. They are gossips. That's the one you're supposed to repeat in church a lot. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. If there were people that could patent sin, it's us. They invent ways. That blows my mind. Hey, it sounds like a redneck thing, doesn't it? Check this out. They're inventing ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They disobey their parents. Oh, sorry, they're at the other room. Man, they are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Let me tell you how this relates to Saul. Saul fought against the truth. Greed, right? He's like going out looking for Christians and he's killing them. So he's fighting against the truth, right? Verse 18 of what we just read says that so were we. We were fighting against the truth. Verse 18. says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. We're, we're fighting against the truth. Our nature, apart from Jesus, is to fight against it, suppress it, not think about it, ignore it. We're trying to stamp out truth in our own lives without knowing Jesus, just like Saul was going around trying to kill Christians. We're just like he is. We were running as fast as we possibly could away from Jesus, just like Saul. We just read that, that horrible verses 21 to 31, the worst 10 or 11 verses in the Bible. I mean, it's just like a downward spiral, as far away from Jesus as you can get. It's like, and then they did this, and then they did this, and you're like going, oh, can it get worse? Yes, because they just did this. Until at the very end, they're inventing ways of doing evil. So Saul was going as fast as he can away from Jesus, and we were going as fast as we could away from Jesus. And then the one that blows my mind is that we were just as cold about the fate of others as Paul was. Do you understand this? When Paul was going to kill Christians, he would like get on his horse or walk or get into a chariot, however he did it. And he would just kind of take a bunch of guys with him. There were people that wanted to be like Saul. They wanted to be like, they were like, can I just go with you? I want to learn how to kill Christians. Come on. Does that sound at all familiar to what we just read in verse 32? Not only do they continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. Basically, mankind, apart from Jesus Christ, we are sinning and we are holding the door open so people can sin with us and go with us to hell. That is man without Jesus. That is not just Saul of Acts chapter 9. That is me and you without Jesus. That is sad. And it's something that we don't want to talk about. We try to ignore it. We forget it. But I want to bring you back to this today, okay? I want you to fill in a blank. It's on your sheet if you have a sheet. And if not, just do it in your head. 
fill in the blank. Before I met Jesus, I was blank. Before I met Jesus, I was fill in the blank. Before I met Jesus, I was what? That's life before meeting Jesus. What about life while meeting Jesus? Number two. What happens, what actually happens at conversion? Life while meeting Jesus. Let me just walk you through this. I love that it says that in verse three, as he neared Damascus on his journey, as he neared Damascus. So here's the deal. He's almost to Damascus, right? He's almost as far as he can get from God, and God stopped him. He never let him get there. I love that. Here's why that's such good news for me and you, because we also ran as far as we could get from God. And just before we got to the end, just before we went over the cliff, fell into the pit of despair for all you Princess Bride fans, just before we got there, he stopped us. You've got family members who you're pretty sure, I mean, we always talk about like everybody can be redeemed, but you're kind of like everybody but, right? Everybody's got a but, right? I mean, uh, well, we don't do all have a but, but literally we have, we have but people. No, is that a good way to say it? Everybody can be saved, but fill in the blank, right? My ex-husband, my wife, my teenagers, right? I mean, we've all got those people. But this says everybody can be saved. Just a couple of verses for you to jot down. I, I love these verses. Psalm 139.7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? When I was youth pastoring, I had a, um, a row in, my, in our youth room that I called the, one, the Psalm 139 row. It was the last row. And I would always pray for the one, Psalm 139 row. And I was like, God, in this room, this is as far as they can get away from you. But they can't get away from you. So, I'm just, God, I'm praying for all the teenagers that are going to sit on the Psalm 139 row. They're just trying to, if they could bust a, a hole in the back wall and run through it, they would. But there's nowhere they can go and get from your presence. I love that. There's nowhere people can go and escape the presence of God. And we think of that as a bad thing, but that's a good thing. It's a good thing because Isaiah 59, 1 says his arm is not too short to save. So when God reaches for us, he never goes, crap, I just can't quite reach him. Like, you know, I am at home when something rolls under the couch. And Sydney goes, Daddy, get my, get my toys under the couch. And I have to like reach. And I go, oh, I just can't quite get it. This is never God. He's not like that. His arm is not too short to save. So Paul's, Saul's almost to Damascus, right? He's almost there, but he doesn't get all the way to Damascus. And I'm so thankful that God didn't let me get all the way where I was going. I'm so glad that he stopped me. No one in this room or anywhere on this planet is beyond the saving reach of our God. And here's what it means. If you're breathing, you're redeemable. And if your butt person is breathing... They're also redeemable. We're going to get shirts made, aren't we? I'm your butt person. <laughs> but if they're breathing, they're also redeemable. 
I can just, next week, somebody's going to come back in, some couple. I'm with stupid, I'm with butt person, right? <laughs> so what was Saul's conversion like? I'm going to give you uh, one, two, three, four characteristics real quick. You can just write them down. Number one, it was unexpected. This is all underneath number two, life while meeting Jesus. It was unexpected. Uh, verse three says, suddenly, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Uh, Jesus, listen to this, Jesus is always the best choice, but he's not always the most convenient choice. Have you found that to be true? He's not convenient. We don't, we don't serve a, have live this gospel of convenience. You know what the, the real inconvenient truth is? Jesus. Not the, not the environment, not any of that. It's Jesus. He seems to always want me to do things when it's the least convenient for me to do them. Oh, you love your life? Plan a church. Okay. Where? In a coffee shop. Make it crowded. Awesome. I mean, I love it, but it's not convenient. Jesus is the, he's the best choice. He's not the most convenient choice. Understand that. Suddenly, at the times when you least expect it, Jesus shows up. Suddenly, it was unexpected. Saul was going somewhere. Jesus interrupted him. It was possible that the very things, it's possible the very things that are frustrating you now, just think what those are right now. You start thinking about your face will start to change. Just The things in your life that are frustrating you now, is it possible that God is simply trying to get your attention to point you to Jesus? Is it possible? I'm not saying it is. That, I'm not saying it's what's happening, but is it possible? Let me give you an example. First church ever youth pastored in, the pastor's daughter, Healthy, beautiful girl, 19 years old. On a, she's a cheerleader at her college in Florida. During a cheer, she fell. She hit her head. They took her to the hospital to just make sure she didn't have a concussion. As they're making sure she does not have a concussion, they find out she has leukemia. 19 years old. Beautiful girl. Far from God. Far from God. And God used that. Didn't give her leukemia. Just used that. And started, just kind of pulled her back. She almost got to Damascus, and God used that to pull her back. He's always the best choice. He's not the most convenient choice. Until one day, she, sta- she stood in front of my youth group of about 20 kids, because she wanted to just, can I just talk to your kids? I'm going to die. Can I just talk to them? I said, absolutely. Come on. And she's sitting, she's standing there, and here's what she said. I'll never forget it. I'm so thankful that, that God used leukemia. Because if they'd never found leukemia, I, I never would have come back to Jesus. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I wrestle with that a little bit, okay? Because I know that God's not just dropping disease on people. But let me say this to you. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It is redeemable. He uses things to pull us back to Jesus. He always uses the circumstances of our lives to point us to Jesus. And here's a girl at 19. She, she died a year later. She knew she was dying. She said, I'm closer to Jesus than I've ever been before in my life. And I was not headed on this path until I got knocked down. Suddenly, suddenly, unexpected, we meet Jesus. Johnny Erickson Tata, that's a name from the past. She had, has had a great ministry. 
She's in a wheelchair. Has had a great ministry her whole life because when she was a younger girl, she dove off of a platform in a lake and didn't check to see how shallow the water was. Can we just go ahead and say it? She was stupid. And she broke her neck. And she's been in a wheelchair ever since. She was a horseback rider. She was, she could, she was an artist. She could do all kinds of stuff. And you'd have thought her life was over. And today, hundreds of thousands of people have heard her from a wheelchair share about the glory and gospel of Jesus Christ. She still paints beautifully with her mouth. And she will say this, I thank God for this wheelchair. This chair brought me to Jesus. What is bringing you to Jesus? Saul's conversion was unexpected, unlikely. It was also undeniable. Acts 9, it doesn't say what time that they saw the flash of light, but you could just jot down Acts 22.6. Acts 22.6 says that this happened somewhere around noon. Okay? Somewhere around noon, a big light shines. The point here is that it happened in the daytime, not the nighttime. Daytime, nighttime, daytime, nighttime. Ask me later. It's a great clip on YouTube. Here's why. I love this about Jesus. If the flash of light had happened at night, would they have said, that's God? They might have, right? The key word being might. Because they could have said, oh, it was just gas. I mean, in the sky. <laughs> hmm. I mean, wow, if it had really been gas, wow, what a flash of light. But they could have said it was a falling star. It was, a, you know, they could have said it was all kinds of things. But in the daytime, when it's light outside, there was no other option, no other possibility. It was God. And I love that about how Jesus converts us to him. It's undeniable. It was humbling. Saul fell to the ground in verse 4. Um, ironically, how many of you say he fell from a horse? Let me see your hands. Anybody? Oh, we have a biblically smart group. This is awesome. I, I, I didn't know until I read this. It doesn't say he fell from a horse. It just says he fell to the ground. So maybe he's walking. Maybe he's on a horse. Maybe he's on somebody's shoulders. I don't know. But he fell to the ground. And it would have been awesome to watch, wouldn't it? Have you ever seen somebody walk through a spider web from a distance? <laughs> you ever seen that? Like, you know, when you walk through a spider web and you're fighting that thing off you, you're just like, well, this is normal, right? But if somebody's 50 yards away looking at you, they're like, that dude's having a seizure. What is up with that? <laughs> you know? Maybe that was him. I don't know. I don't, maybe that's what happened to Saul. Who knows, right? But we know that he fell to the ground. The point is that he ended up lower than where he was before he met Jesus. That's the point. So, listen, conversion is a humbling experience. It is. We have to admit that we're not God. There's something about conversion. We go, oh, yeah, I've been trying to act like God, but I'm not, because I just realized it, because I saw the light, I saw the light, and there you are, and whoa, you're, you're God, and I'm not, and boom, down. Conversion is humbling. It's also very public, verses 4 through 7. I'm not going to read them all, but there's men that are with him. They saw him fall. <laughs> They're the ones that were giggling at first. <laughs> Saul walked into a spider web. Awesome! And then they were freaking out because they heard the sound but didn't hear the voice, and they saw the light, and it's just like they're going to, what in the world's going on? And now he's on the ground, and it was a very public event. All of this took place in full view of those that Saul was leading. Now let me just throw this out there to think about, okay? And then we'll move on. We're almost to point three. Saul's conversion is very different from how we see conversions today. 
Because if, I'm gonna, if I was going to give an altar call right now, you probably could already tell me what I would do, right? I would say every head and every eye as the band comes, right? No heads are bowed here. No eyes are closed. A bunch of men who really looked up to Saul because they'd like to be able to kill as efficiently as he does are now watching him on the ground. Very public, not private. We have taken a very public gospel and made it a very private faith. And we have done God a disservice. Now, it is personal, right? Our faith is very personal. My faith in Jesus is very personal. I will work it out in my life different than you might work it out in your life. We both have different issues to deal with. But it, the minute I think my faith is private, I have missed the point of conversion. You and I are converted so that the world will see. It is very public. Make sense? I'm moving on even if you don't say yes. So here's what I want you to do real quick before we move on to point three. Uh, just looking back over some of those characteristics. Um, it was unexpected. It was undeniable. It was humbling. It was public. If you've experienced conversion to faith in Jesus, which part of Saul's conversion can you most relate to? Of those four things, what do you relate to the most? Just jot that down on your sheet. What do you relate to the most? It was unexpected. It was undeniable. It was humbling. It was public. And while you're writing that, let me just clear this up, make sure I'm being, I want to be very clear. So if you were at home in your house, in your living room, nobody was around, and you saw Jesus, maybe not literally like, whoa, hey, you really do have long hair and a glowing head. Um, but if you just met him, you became aware of him, he's king, he's Lord, and you converted your life to following Jesus there in your living room, nobody else is around, am I saying that you aren't really saved? No. So sometimes conversion can happen in a very private setting. But if it stays there, see what I'm saying? It's never meant to stay there. Try to have a conversation with, with your in-laws about faith. That'll go well. For my sake, will you please record it so I can watch? Because at some point they'll say, well, that's good for you. Jesus and I, we, we have a private thing. You ever heard somebody say that to you? <laughs> I was going to go, uh, no, actually you don't. And someday, when it will be too late, all the world will see. So maybe all the world should see now when it's not too late. But there's no way it's going to stay private, okay? So I'm not saying you can't be converted to faith in Christ in a private setting. Yes, you can. If you were one who raised your hand when the pastor told everybody to close their eyes and bow their head, are you now not saved? No, of course you are. If you've given your heart to Jesus and you're, you've chosen to follow him, conversion is conversion. But if it stays private, it's like, okay, I'll live for Jesus as soon as all of Walmart closes their eyes and bows their head. Okay, now, I can see, no, the world's watching. The world is watching. The world is watching because our faith is meant to be public. Okay, number three, we've talked about life before meeting Jesus, life while meeting Jesus. The last one is life after meeting Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this yet or not, but these are the three components of conversion. 
This is exactly how conversion works. Do you know your testimony is basically this? Before I met Jesus, I was, and then I met Jesus. And after I met Jesus, I am. That's, that's, your, that's your testimony. That's it. It's before I met him and now after. This is how Saul's conversion relates to us. So what is, what is life like after meeting Jesus? For Saul, it changed everything. He had, to this point, he had looked for disciples everywhere to kill, and now he can't even see. Verse 8 says he's blind for three days. He had led men in violence, and now he's being led by men in weakness. So here's big, strong Saul, right? He just, to me, he's the kind of guy that when he speaks, he spits and slobbers, and he just, like, you know, never takes a bath, and he's just, you know, a man's man, Right? except that real men do use deodorant. Just want to throw that out there for you. But now he is blind and stumbling and being led. Very different. Very different. He used to move in chaos. Now, according to verse 9, he waits in silence. His life was very loud, very busy, very full, just chaos. chaos. And now it's silent. He waits in silence. He used to be an instrument of death. Now, according to verse 15, he is an instrument of life. The Lord said to Ananias in verse 15, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. I love that. So in a word, life after meeting Jesus was different, and the obvious question to each one of us has to be, is ours? Is our life different because we met Jesus? The true test of conversion is change. So here's the big idea for today. Conversion leads to a new version of us. Conversion leads to a new version of us. I want to make sure that you hear what I'm saying. If our hearts have not changed... If our actions have not changed, we have not met and chosen to follow Jesus. In my notes, this next sentence is in all caps, but I'm not going to yell, okay? Just hear what I'm saying. I want to make sure you get this. It is not possible to meet Jesus and stay the same. Why is our culture running from the church as fast as they possibly can? Because they work with the people in the church. Monday through Friday, they work with them and they're like, you're not any different than me. Why would I waste an hour on Sunday? <laughs> I'll just sleep in, I'll go run, I'll be, get breakfast, I'll whatever. But why would I want to waste time on, in church? It's not working for you. When I was youth pastoring, I would go on campus and I would be introduced to like the friends of people in my youth group. And they were almost embarrassed to say, this is my youth pastor. I used to take that really personally. Like, do I have body odor? Do I look funny? And then it suddenly dawned on me they were embarrassed to introduce me to their friends because then their friends would know that they're hypocrites. Why do you want to introduce somebody to your youth pastor when they're like, what? Like, you're a Christian? (laughs) Shocker. It's not possible to meet Jesus and stay the same. And if our lives are the same now as they were before we met Jesus, I mean, you're going to hate me when I tell you, but you've not met Jesus. You may have wasted your whole life in church, but you've not met Jesus. Because it's not possible to meet him and stay the same. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I love this. It says that you and I are new creations in Christ. 
So the big idea is not that conversion leads to a better version of you. It's a new version of you. We are brand new. I love that. The old has gone. The new has come. Such good news for us. So let's really quickly, I want to look at Acts 9.26. And then we're almost done. So the disciples, I love this because they're just like us. They've been hearing about this guy named Saul. He's been killing people. Like some of them lost friends to Saul. And so when they came to Jerusalem, Saul tried to join the disciples in verse 26 of Acts 9. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Aren't you glad to read that? So see, Saul was their butt guy. They're like, everybody in, this whole, everybody in Jerusalem can be saved but Saul. He was their bad guy. And they were like, no, 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 there's no way in the world this is true. There's no way he's really converted. You're just trying to get him in here so that he can kill us. And what does it say next? Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He brought him in so they could see him, examine him, and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had done what? Preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus change change they saw change in Saul look none of us want to believe it's really real but then we see people and we go okay wait a second like I don't want to believe in Jesus but then I met you and now I can't shake the fact that you're changed you're different something happened and we would say someone happened to you Fill in the blank. Since meeting Jesus, I am. Since meeting Jesus, I am. Blank. As you're writing that down, we're going to wrap this up. Let me just make a couple of observations from the text just to kind of help us apply it to our daily lives. Sometimes God gets our attention in ways that aren't comfortable. He knocked Saul down, but he didn't leave him down. I love that. And he knocks him down, but then his, his next words were, after he said, you're persecuting me, he said, now get up. Get up. Some of you feel like you've been knocked down. That's what you know. Sometimes God knocks us down. Okay? But he gets us up. I love that. God never knocks us down and like steps on us and goes, yay. <laughs> you know? Never does that. Feels like it sometimes, but he doesn't do that. He's, he's always getting us back up. Okay? Always getting us back up. The best testimonies show very real change. I was blind, but now I see. Those are the best testimonies. They show real change. When, when I'm, I've had you kind of walk through, like, before I met Jesus, I was, and then, then I met Jesus, and now after I've met Jesus, I am. That's all you're doing. And typically, you just pick one area of your life, and you can see change, right? Before I met Jesus, I was an axe murderer. And then one day I was getting ready to use my axe and I saw a bright light and now after meeting Jesus I don't axe murder people. That's it. Change. Change. There is value in waiting. Maybe that's a takeaway for some of you today. There is value in waiting. So many times we're converted we want to jump right into ministry before getting any clear direction from Jesus. Saul waited. There is so much value in that. And sometimes we're so anxious to jump right into ministry that God, he blinds us so that we can't jump into ministry. I'm not sure if Saul had his choice, he would have waited for three days. So God said, okay, I'll make it so you can't see. 
and you'll have to wait. Terry, it's great to have you here today. Terry just went through that surgery. I'm, you know, if you know Terry, he's like, sit around and wait. Uh-uh, not me. But he didn't have a choice. So sometimes God can use those times so he can actually speak to us. You ever heard of a guy named Rick Warren? You ever heard of the book Purpose Driven Life? Yeah, it's only sold like 200 gazillion copies. If you ever listen to his testimony, here's what you'll find. He'll say way back in the day when he was a young pastor, he almost had a nervous wreck. He, was, he wasn't a nervous wreck. He had a nervous breakdown. He ended up in the hospital for a week, two weeks, whatever. And he, he has said this publicly. Every single thing he wrote about in all of his purpose-driven everything, he got from God in the hospital. I'll tell you something. Sometimes God just has to stop us. There is value in waiting. If you're in a position right now in your life where you're just impatient, like, God, this just stinks. I'm ready to move on. It's okay to want to move on, but let me just encourage you. There's value in waiting. Maybe the better prayer is, God, while I'm waiting here, what do you want to put into me? What are you preparing me for? We're not converted to live lives of comfort. I really want you to get that. We're not converted to live lives of comfort. We are converted to live lives of surrender. We did not take the time to walk through this in the passage, but you can read this on your own this afternoon. The best story of surrender in Acts 9 is Ananias, who God called to go lay hands on a mass murderer and pray for him. And he didn't just go pray for him, but it actually says that he walked in and said, Brother. It's like, what? I mean, he just trusted that God was changing this guy. And for all he knew, he was going to lay hands on Saul, and as he's praying for him, Saul was going to reach out with a knife and whoosh, off him. He's not called you to be comfortable. He has called us to a life of surrender. And if we surrender to him, it will lead us to kind of dangerous places. Then last, conversion happens in community. Faith is personal. We've talked about that, but it's never private. It always happens in community. You see that all the way through Acts chapter 9. Saul falls, falls to the ground. He's led somewhere for three days. God sends Ananias and then you know, Barnabas, and they take Saul in to meet the apostles, and they talk, and it happens in the community. Do you know the Christians that scare me? Are the Christians that say things like this. Well, I love Jesus, but I'm not ever going to go to church. Why not? Well, I'm just going to sit at home and have church with Jesus by myself. Okay, have you read the Bible? Like, we're supposed to be together, right? Did a lawnmower just go by? Ah, uh, the signs of spring in Stanley County. Yes. Um, it happens in community, right? I mean, what we're doing here, this is where it happens. This is where conversion happens. We rub each other the wrong way, get on each other's nerves. God sharpens us. Iron sharpens iron. And we come out the other side going, man, that, I look more like Jesus, you know? This is where conversion happens. It happens in community. So there's always areas that we're still being made perfect. I want you to know that sometimes we follow Jesus and sometimes, you know, we fall short following Jesus. But conversion leads to a new version of you. Here's my story. Before I met Jesus, I was a future wife abuser. I was. Um, my sister Laura's working in Kid City now. But as soon as we get done today, you have my permission to go and ask her if she thought I was going to beat my wife someday. And she will say yes. Why would she say that? Was she just a jerk? No, I hit her with a baseball bat a couple times. I hit her so hard one time that my handprint was on her body. I was a wife abuser. 
I was full of rage. I had the mouth of a sailor. I could cuss it off of a hat. Still in my mind, I can hear them. That was me. Let me tell you what conversion does. Conversion leads to a new version of you, which is why the people that know you the best, when they say, that dude has changed, something has happened. And the crazy thing is, when Wendy and I moved back to Albemarle, we will now occasionally run into people who knew me. They knew me, me, way back there. And they'll say, like, you're a preacher? And they'll start talking about stuff I used to do. And, you know, Wendy will get in the car and she'll say, I just can't even imagine you like that. That is conversion. It leads to a new version of you. If you can't say that, I strongly urge you to consider the fact that you may have only brushed up against Jesus, but you have never really met him nor chosen to follow him. Because when we follow Jesus, we become converted to his way of life. We are changed. Inside first, but it changes the outside. Before I met Jesus, I was. I met Jesus like this, and now that I've met Jesus, I am. What's your testimony? How are you different? Because you know Jesus. It's a life that is full of ups and downs, but to borrow a very popular phrase, the life of a follower of Jesus is always trending upward. Always. And the question this morning is, is yours? Because here's what's going to happen. In just a minute when we start praying, you're going to start thinking this. Oh, I'm not really a Christian because I yelled at my wife in the car today. Okay, that might make you not a Christian, but more than likely it makes you a Christian who's also human. Okay? So there's always areas that we can struggle, but trending upward. Trending upward. If you look at yourself a year ago, are you different today than you were a year ago? Is there more passion in your heart for Jesus than there was a year ago? Do your friends look at you and say, the dude is nuts about Jesus more than they did a year ago? Do you find yourself walking out on Sunday mornings saying to yourself, I cannot believe I just sang and raised my hands. I would never have done that a year ago. Those are the evidences of a converted life trending upward. Or, you're in here and you're really close to Jesus for an hour and a half. And then when you get in the car and go home, your family would say, you're no different. You're just as vile as the day you were a year ago when we first started going to that church. You say things that I can't believe come out of your mouth just like you did a year ago when we started going to that church. You're just as stingy as you were a year ago when we started going to that church. See, Church can't change us, but meeting Jesus always will. Always, 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 always will change us. Is there change in your life? So with every head bowed, I'm just kidding. So with every head up and every eye open, are you following Jesus? Have you experienced true conversion in your life? And if you have not, today is a great day 
to say this is the first step. I want to follow Jesus. I want to have conversion in my life. And if that's you, I'm just going to give you the chance to say, that's me, just raise your hand. And yes, we are all looking around. I'm looking at you better because I'm like on a swivel chair. Anybody? All right. So let's talk to the Christians. Is your life trending upward? That, that was such a perf- such perfect timing. Does anybody want to give their heart to Jesus? Is your life trending upward? Or right now, as we've talked about this, are you convicted? Are you convicted that there is there really an, is there change in my life, God? Am I really changing on the inside because of what you're doing? And is my life changing? Are my attitudes changing? Is my are my actions changing? I don't know about you, but when I think about this, I, I could just fall on my face before God. I did this morning before I preached this message. I was up early on the floor saying to God, change my heart. Because I can feel my heart. It's just not soft. Like I want it to be change my heart. I want to trend upward. I don't want to stay the same place. Am I the only one that does that? Or right now, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, are you sitting here saying, God, that's me. Please, I want to trend upward. And I just want you to raise your hand. That's you. So we're going to change this morning. We're going to pray that God would change us more and more to be an image of His Son. That's what conversion's all about.